started with just really soaking up every bit of food info and cooking shows I could find. Um, and really it was a respite for me. It was my sanctuary because I was having a real identity crisis. So, you know, I'd wanted to be a journalist since I was 11. So to now be in my 20s and go, well, that's not happening right now. Who the heck am I? Hey friends, welcome to The Paula Farah Show. Whether you're watching on YouTube or you're listening on your favorite platform, I am so glad you're here. And that question, who the heck am I? I know it's a question that we have all asked ourselves at some point, and today we are in conversation with Artie Sequera on what to do when you feel unqualified. So Artie went to school, a very prestigious school, of journalism, but then went on to win a show on the Food Network. Now she is in the culinary space. She is rubbing elbows and working with some of the top chefs in the world. And guess what? She still says that she feels unqualified. Gosh, I think we can all relate to that sentiment, right? So we are talking about it today on the show. But before we jump in, question for you. Do you want to win a $100 gift card to Target? I am guessing that the answer is yes. And you're in luck because I'm giving away three $100 gift cards to Target. All you have to do is subscribe to the show. Literally, that's it. The details are in the show notes. I will pick all three winners by December 1st. Again, all you've got to do is subscribe to this show. So let's jump back to the conversation. Without further ado, my new friend and your new friend, here's Artie Party Sequera on All Things Food Network what to do when you feel less than, and why we should all consider talking to our plants. And action, Artie. (laughs) Breaking. Breaking news. Breaking news. Oh, my gosh. So two journalists uh, do a show. I feel like this is the beginning of a joke. No, we are. Yeah, we walk into a bar. We're both journalists. God knows where this conversation is going to go. I'm so excited Mm -hmm. to, like, officially meet you because I know of you. We have corresponded. Um on Instagram and emailed and yeah. messaged, but like yeah. human connection. <laughs> Hello, <talking>. human. <laughs> okay, um, Artie, so Sequera, that's how you say your last name, right? Sequera. Sequera. Mm-hmm. Sequera. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm sure you get all kinds of pronunciations. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I, by the way, it's Portuguese, so even I'm saying it wrong. It's Portuguese. Okay, now this is a whole nother layer <laughs> because you were born in India, raised in. Uh, Dubai, educated at a mm-hmm. British school, but the name is Portuguese? Yeah, because there's a portion of India. The Portuguese went around the world and took just like a little bite out of countries, right? Like out of continents. Africa, India, there's a part of China, I think even. And so the part of India I'm from was originally Portuguese. Oh, it's so, so fascinating. Mm-hmm. That is so fascinating. Okay, so this is going to be an exciting conversation because I've got to figure out, like, you went to the Medill School of Journalism, which is a very prestigious school of journalism, Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And now you're like a, a nationally, internationally known cookbook author. <laughs> like, how do you make this turn? So um, <laughs> let's start, though, at the very beginning. Okay, baby Artie. Uh, Again, born in India and raised in Dubai. Mm -hmm. So how long were you in India? How much time did you spend of your childhood? I spent about three months in India before my mom went back to Dubai. They were already in Dubai. Gotcha. So Dubai still really feels like my home because from three months old until 18 years old, that's where I lived. Okay. And when you were in Dubai, you were educated at a British school, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you called Dubai home or where you are now. Honestly, I'm like a th- I'm a third, fourth, fifth culture kid. Yes. So 
that's the thing for me that comes out when I cook and sort of the things that I'm interested in. There are so many cultures like whirling around in my noggin. Mm. And so even if I don't really have a place that I consider home, I mean, I suppose the States now is my home. Mm -hmm. Whenever I would cook, that's when it would sort of coalesce into, oh, here's who I am. Mm -hmm. Because it would be this sort of mishmash of things like fish tacos, which are Californian, but also Mexican Mm -hmm. with Indian seasonings with, you know what I mean? It all kind of come together. It's a melting pot. I love Mm -hmm. it. I love it. So I am hoping that your uh, wonderful gift of cooking rubs up on me just by proxy (laughs) because like I don't enjoy it and I'm not good at it, but I can get by in the kitchen. Hello Fresh, like meal delivery, that (laughs) is saving me right now. Like literally the other night, my kids were like, HelloFresh, and by the way, this is not a sponsorship, but HelloFresh, right. if you want to sponsor this, like go go ahead. Go, go ahead because my <laughs> daughter was like, it is saving our family because yeah. we don't, you know, I think as a mom, you're like, oh, what are we having for dinner? Yes. That's a yes. huge mental load. It's huge. And actually, that's kind of what prompted my newest cookbook, which is called Unwind, yes. is this idea of having as as whoever it is, whether it's the mother or the father, whatever, whomever it is, we have such full lives and we're being pulled in so many different directions that by the time we get to that threshold, we walk into the kitchen, making dinner, at, even for me as a food professional, felt like, feels like a burden. It feels mm. like salt in the wound sometimes. It feels it like I've had such a full day and now I have to do this mm-hmm. and I don't know that it's going to come out well or anybody's going to appreciate it, but now I got to do it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the solution wasn't necessarily quicker recipes or meal planning or meal prepping, even though those things are very important. For me, it required a change of heart. And I learned that lesson from this um, Indian woman that had a market on the west side of LA. I used to live in LA and I went to go buy spices from her all the time and called her auntie and I looked in the kitchen one day because she had like a little restaurant too and I was like hey auntie ain't no Indians up in there and they're making all this Indian food you know and it tastes like authentic and she said well of course beta beta means like child yes she's I taught them everything I even taught them to pray before they cook oh wow and I stopped and stared at her she's Hindu um and I was like, you do that? She's like, well, of course I do. I pray to be like a clear and empty vessel so that my food will be pure. It'll be a connection to God. I just was like, she kind of looked at me like, you don't do that? And Uh I was like, oh, sure, sure. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. of course I do. (laughs) (laughs) But I started doing it. I started praying before I cooked. And then that became, I started praying before I did the laundry, before I did a really big project. And it took this thing that feels either mundane or a burden and turned it into this moment of sacred connection. Mm. And that transformed the entire process because now this thing that felt like an insult actually felt like a blessing. That's so fascinating too. I, um, not long ago, I was in Nashville doing a media tour and in the studio at the same time, I think they were called Love's Biscuits in Nashville. And people in Nashville listening to this are probably like screaming right now at the microphone. I think it's called Little Love or Love's Biscuits. They're amazing. I go, what's the secret to your biscuits? They're like, we make them with love. He's like, I was like, come on. That's like, that's woo woo. What's it? He's like, no, we really like we are very intentional. We we talk to it. We love the food. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. Okay, there, I mean, there's really something there, like our words mm-hmm. kind of like set our mindset and our intent. And I guess that does come through. So 
It's made with love. 100%. I mean, if people don't think it's crazy to talk to their plants, right? When they've done studies that show that when you talk to a plant lovingly, it flourishes. And when you talk to it horribly, it dies. I think I read that somewhere. Fact check me. No, Um, I've heard this. (laughs) Yeah, right? I'm like, my jaws dropped because I've been doing this with one of my fiddle leaf uh, plants. Yes. My daughter's like, what are you doing? And I was like, call me crazy. And I am. But mm-hmm. I'm like, I heard that if you talk lovingly to your plants, they'll flourish. And if you talk, yeah. you know, if 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 you talk, obviously, discouraging, they will, yeah. <laughs> they'll do the the exact opposite. That's I, sad, yeah. I heard the same thing with like a jar of rice, like a, two yeah. jars of rice. If you talk like, oh, you're so beautiful. And the other one, like, you should have never been born. You're the worst rice <laughs> ever on the planet. Like, it actually starts to mold. So there's really something to that. There is something to it. And, you know, and that was a thing that I that changed my whole perspective when I started praying is, oh, my gosh, what a blessing that I have Mm. people to cook for that I have food to cook, even if it was a bowl of granola. This is a blessing. And this is a privilege. And also, this can be a moment of God ministering to me, you know, and so often I walk into the kitchen with a need, I needed hope or I needed encouragement. And so that's why it's a devotional cookbook. Yeah. So each of the devotions starts with when you need hope, when you need encouragement, when you need a reason to keep going. Okay. Um, And so the devotional sort of addresses that from sort of a God perspective. And then the recipe keys off an idea in the devotional so that while you're cooking, you can be sort of rolling over in your mind this idea of what does joy mean to God? Oh, that's really good. And it like brings in the spiritual aspect of cooking and the mindset and the gratitude. I like that. It's called Unwind, a devotional cookbook for the harried and hungry. And that's such a unique perspective. Okay. So born in India, again, we said raised in Mm -hmm. Dubai, went to a British Mm -hmm. school. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, I would imagine you're you're just around that beautiful tapestry of all kinds of different flavors all the time. How did this love of cooking form? And then like, why didn't you initially go into mm-hmm. the culinary field? Instead, you yeah. pursued journalism. Well, so cooking and food is such a huge part, I think, of Indian culture, also mm-hmm. of just in general Arab culture. Yes. I'm Middle um, East. I'm, I'm Lebanese. So I'm I know. Sister. So, so And I'm obsessed with Lebanese food. So <laughs> I, I get it. It was kind of predestined in that way. But specifically, my family is obsessed with it. You know, mm-hmm. the the constantly talking about what the next meal would be, sort of deciding whether it was a good day or not based on the quality of meals you had eaten, uh-huh, that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And But I never thought about it as a career because, frankly, to be a cook or a chef was not something, you know, that immigrant families consider to be a path of uh, dignity or success. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for us, it was like my dad got us off the farm in India where we were a farming family and he got us to Dubai. And then my job was to get us to the next level, you know, and being a chef was it. I never even considered it. It Mm. was doctor, lawyer, engineer, advertising, whatever. And during the first Gulf War, that's the first time that I saw real news because CNN was piped into our TV station. And I went, oh oh my gosh, these people are going to the, you know, the oil wells that are on fire and finding out what exactly is happening mm. rather than taking somebody else's word for it mm. or the government's word for wow, it. They're yeah. going and figuring it out. And that lit me up. I was like, these people are heroes and I want to be one of them. Mm-hmm. I want to be a journalist. Yeah, I want to mm. be a journalist. And, you know, later as I look back, I'm like, there's something about shining light in the darkness that has been like a real uh 
heart cry for me and there's something about journalism that attacks that right mm. that goes this is what we're going to do mm-hmm. so um so yeah so i told my parents and they said great they were very generous and said we want to send you to university in america because that's the country that will um accept you and that's a place where you can follow your dreams and you know all of that and so i chose medill and thank goodness they said yes <laughs> It's a very prestigious school of journalism, by the way. I was it, way out of my league, Paula, mm, when I got there. Oh, I was stop. like, these kids, oh my gosh. I didn't understand the level of passion that was available. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it is an American thing. It really is. It is, yeah. So I did that. And then I even got to work at CNN for a number of years as a producer. And I just thought, well, that was easy. I didn't have to hustle at all. My dreams come true. I'm not a reporter, which is what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But I'll get my way there. And I was making reporters tapes and all that nine. Um, And then I got married, which my husband always hates when I say it that way. But I did. I got married. And he's an actor. And and he lives in L.A. I got married. Everything (laughs) fell apart. (laughs) He's like, please figure out a different way to tell that story. But he was an actor living in L.A. And I thought, well, there's news everywhere. I'll move to L.A. And unfortunately, you know, for me, there wasn't news everywhere. You know, Mm -hmm. God was just shutting one door after another. Doors that everybody else thought were a sure thing for me. There were jobs that I was already doing in a freelance capacity that I didn't get as a full-timer. And people were like, what? And I was like, I know. Uh-huh. And I just, in retrospect, it wasn't that I wasn't good enough. It was that God was like, I need you to go in this direction. And, this, and you're not yes. going to go this way unless I shut the door. Yep, totally. So maybe a different way you could say that is, and then I found the love of my life. And we decided <laughs> to move to L.A. And it just, the doors closed in L.A., right? That's hilarious. And then I got I got married. married. <laughs> Listen, oh, we've been together since we were 18, so, Stop you know, it. I... How many yeah. years have you... So, how how long have you been together? And now people are going to be, like, doing math. I'm well, sorry. I'm four, no, it's fine. I'm 45. Okay. So, however many years 20, that is. 25... 27 years. Yeah. Wow. Holy cow. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's been a long time. I've been, been with my time. husband since I was 21, and I'm 48, so... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, 20, so... 27 years. We've both been with our... Wait, um, is that... Wait, wait, 21 minus 48. 27. Yes, we've both been with our spouses for 27 years. That's amazing. Stop it. That's crazy. That is awesome. Okay, so the doors (laughs) kept closing. Mm -hmm. And even though you have this passion for journalism and you have a passion for telling the story, like Mm -hmm. where did things shift? Like what was, okay, so we know that like you have been a judge on like, I looked at all the shows you've been a judge on. Holiday Wars, Halloween Wars, Candy (laughs) L, Luda Can't Cook which has got to be amazing. Guys Grocery Game, Supermarket Stakeout, Christmas Cookie Challenge, You've Cooked in Competition and Emerged Victorious Unchopped, Cutthroat Kitchen, and GGG. You've worked alongside Guy Fieri in Guy's Ranch Kitchen. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And so, like, what was your big break in in cooking? How did you decide to to even go for that? You know, it was one step after, after another, one foot in front of the other. It started with just really soaking up every bit of food info and cooking shows I could find. Um, And really, it was a respite for me. It was my sanctuary because I was having a real identity crisis. Mm. So, you know, I'd wanted to be a journalist since I was 11. So to now be in my 20s and go, well, that's not happening right now. Who the heck am I? Right. Simultaneously, we were going to church and I was starting to really understand the gospel because I'd grown up Catholic, but didn't it didn't really hit. 
And so that identity was shifting, this journalist identity was shifting. And meanwhile, I was cooking as a way to just sort of take chaos and turn it into order. And so that was really, it was therapeutic for me. Mm. So I went to a little cooking school, I interned at a restaurant, I was simultaneously working on a documentary about the genocide in Darfur, I was doing all these different things. And I started making my own cooking show on YouTube. It was a it's still on there. It's called Artie Party. It's, and it's a cooking variety show. It's the and best I, name. It's, it uh-huh. was my husband's idea. Yes. I thought it was so stupid, but it, it took <laughs> off. You know, he just throws it in my face forever now. Huh, look and how, then look how successful I got that was. married. And then I, I got, got married. married. <laughs> <laughs> it all worked out really. I mean, it really has all worked out. But I think the big break was taking a huge risk. There's a show on Food Network called Next Food Network Star. And if you win this show, you get your own cooking show. And three different people from three different areas of my life said, you need to try this show out. And I said, I've watched a couple episodes of that show and I will be humiliated because I know that I don't belong there. So why would I put myself there? And I really just felt so compelled by by heaven to do it. Wow. You know, there was, I could not say no. And I just kept taking small risks one after the other. Oh, I'll mm-hmm. just make a video and send it in. Oh, oh my gosh, the phone's ringing and it's a New York number. I'm not going to pick it up. But it was them saying, hey, we'd like you to go to the next round. Oh, okay, then I'll just go and do the interview. Oh, okay, now they've accepted me. Okay, now I'm going to go shoot the show and uh, I'm going to go home in the first episode. Nope, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still here. And finally, there were three left and they picked me. And that's that's what started everything. Okay, you guys, I'm not going to tell you about something unless I really love it. And I love Able Clothing. Like you, I'm super busy. I don't have time to shop. I'm juggling all the things, work, life, kids, and trying to squeeze in a shower. And that's why I love Able, because these are clothes and accessories made by women for women, and they're sustainable with a purpose. Now, for all of you guys listening, hey, your woman is going to love Able. And right now, fill up your cart, get 40% off your entire purchase by using this proprietary code. It is Carrie Holiday. 40. That's C-A-R-R-Y holiday four zero. The sale only goes through Monday the 27th, which is Cyber Monday. Again, that code is Carrie Holiday 40. All the details in my show notes. What's really interesting about your story and what you're telling me is like along the way, this big break, you felt totally unqualified for it. Uh, I mean, I still do. <laughs> Full disclosure. Uh, I still do. I mean, before it had a name, the mm-hmm. the imposter syndrome was like, you know, had has deep roots in me mm-hmm. because I, you know, I went to school for another thing. And I think I really, in my mind, I'm like, well, there are prerequisites. If you want to do something, you have to do this, this and that first, you know, because I just thought, well, if you want to be a chef, and this is true, you know, if you want to be a chef, there is a road to that title. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing as being a journalist. I fully believe you should be a PA and do all the grunt work. Yep. Because you'll never appreciate the job of being an anchor or a reporter and Absolutely. take it seriously unless you know everything that's involved to get you to that place. Totally. And so I felt like I skipped so many steps to get here. Um, but I'm so grateful for it. And so people are always like, wow, you're just like 
so joyful. I was like, wouldn't you be mm-hmm, if you, mm-hmm. this was your second chance? Yeah, and you're totally. like, I can't believe I get to do this every day. So you didn't, like, yes, you were, you turned to cooking um, mm-hmm. just for therapy. You didn't go to like culinary school. You don't, didn't Not necessarily have, didn't have a degree, like a culinary mm-hmm. degree or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. This is how much I know about the kitchen. Yeah, and it's a the culinary profession. degree, you're right. But you just had a passion for it and the doors kept opening. And I love yeah. that you're, it was your husband. You just said, mm-hmm. You shot this YouTube cooking show, Artie Party, and your husband was actually behind the camera, wasn't he? He was filming it. Yes. And he's the one that said, you've got to send this in. And then you started, yes. who did you send it into? The Food Network? And then they called mm-hmm. you right back? Yeah. Oh. Pretty much with it. He's been supporter number one. I mean, I know that it's trite to have a supportive husband, but fully 100% I would not be doing this without him Mm -hmm. because he was the one who said you know they had like a cattle call and you could stand in line on Sunset Boulevard he's like no you're too good for that we're going to send a video in and you're going to go he was the one that paid for me to go to this like semi-professional cooking course that was him he was the one that said we should do this cooking variety show and I'll shoot it and you edit it you know He's just been the person that's believed in me so much more than I've ever believed in myself. That's awesome. And then you go on to win season six of the Food Network star. Mm-hmm. And kind of the rest is history. You've got a couple yeah. of cookbooks out now. And like like I said, you've been the guest judge on three million shows. <laughs> and yeah. you have all kinds of projects in the works. And you're yes. in demand. You are telling stories. You're on camera. Yeah. It's different, though. And that's what's really cool. Yeah. You know, your talents and gifts. Mm-hmm. were used at a different capacity. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. they're still your talents and gifts, but how you thought they were going to actually 100%. be utilized are, are totally different. And it's all because of your husband. So it's all yeah, because so you got you go. married. And then I got married. Because <laughs> I got married. Um, this has been awesome. I want to ask you real quick, and then we're going to go into some viewer questions. So what advice do you give to somebody who is looking for that big break or might be like you? They're like, they're in the middle of this big break and they're like, I don't feel worthy of this. Yeah. What advice do you give them? Well, so I would say do the work that you can do. So for me, it was read every cookbook, watch every cooking show, practice in front of the camera, just absorb as much as you can. Okay, you may not have had years of experience. You have time right now. Mm. So use that. You know what I mean? Because you can't walk in there with any sense of entitlement. Yeah, I that's, think that's right. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't, whether it works or not, I just don't think it's right. And mm-hmm. at some point, it's gonna it's gonna blow up. So do the work that you can do right now. And then for someone who's in the middle of it and feels imposter syndrome, and I think we all do, um, that's that's my message is we all do in one way or another. Absolutely. I mean, and I, I'm working with some of the biggest names in food. And m- my highest joy is to sit down with them at over a cocktail, or whatever, and actually find out about them. Mm-hmm. Who are you? And at some point they will say, oh, yeah, but I'm not as good as so and so. You know, or yeah, but you did this. So that's why you're doing so well. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, we're all, there is a lie. I don't know why, but there, there is an aspect of all of us that goes, well, I don't actually deserve this. Now, mm-hmm. I think that that's a spiritual thing because there is an aspect of what God offers us that none of us deserves. Mm-hmm. And that's actually kind of what we're tapping into. 
Um, and if you are sort of in relationship with God, then I feel like that kind of takes care of imposter syndrome to a certain extent because you're like, yeah, dude, I don't deserve any of this. Yeah. You're empowering this whole thing. I'm just a vessel anyway. But it's, yeah. it, but imposter syndrome almost always hits the most successful people. Even mm. when I was, you know, at GMA at the top of my game, even like the top anchors that I was working next to are like, I get nervous. I feel like I don't belong here. So it always affects the most successful. And yet it makes us feel so isolated that we're the only one that feels like that. Okay. So Artie, you've been real open. um, And then we'll go to a couple of your questions and wrap things (laughs) up real open about postpartum depression. Yeah. um, Something that affects so many mothers. It affected me in my third pregnancy, not my first or my second. What stigma do you want to really push against when it comes to uh, postpartum. postpartum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, first of all, um, I would say it affects one in seven to one in eight women in America. So you're not a weirdo if you feel like mm-hmm. something's not right. Um, and same as you, it could ha- not have happened your first two and then boom, it comes in on your third. So the first thing I would say is uh, there's nothing wrong with you, but something is wrong. That's good. That's a huge yeah. distinction. <laughs> yes. You haven't done anything wrong necessarily, but something is wrong. Your brain chemistry is off. Your body chemistry is off. Don't try to white knuckle it on your own. The thing about postpartum depression, and I think a lot of mental illness, is that it says, hey, go be by yourself. And it forces you into isolation, which is the number one thing that will make you worse. Mm -hmm. So for me, I looked at postpartum.net. That was my lifeline. They have, a, they call it a warm line that you can call and leave Aww. a message. And they have resources all across America. So I got myself into a support group. They have uh, names of therapists who work on sliding scales if money is an, uh, an issue. But there are so many more resources today than when I had it. And even then they were like, we have more resources than when mm-hmm. the previous generation Yes. Had. But I, my number one thing that I would say is you don't have to do this alone. Please don't do it alone. And also recognize, because I know there's, listen, I took medication. There's no shame in it. But the medication is, is just takes the floor out, right? So you don't sink quite as, as low when you fall. It preys on very real issues. And those are the issues that you need to work on. The medication will not make those issues go away. Mm. So for me, my imposter syndrome leaked over into motherhood. I'm not meant to be a mother. This baby's better off with somebody else. Lord, why'd you give me this baby? All those things. I'm ruining her. I'm ruining her. That was my constant. I think that about my other aspects of my life constantly, you know, so you have to address the root issue. The medication is not going to fix that. It might Mm -hmm. help you and give you kind of a little trampoline so you're not sort of lying on the ground, not able to even get up. There's no shame. I'll tell you what I took and how much I took and Mm -hmm. the whole nine. Mm -hmm. It's a deep attack on a woman, Mm. very deep, at her most vulnerable and also to me at her most sacred moment mm, that's yes. when it comes yeah I, so don't you cannot fight it alone i love what you said there's something wrong but there's nothing wrong with you that's mm-hmm. that's a really really good distinction thank you for being brave enough to share that and for being sure. vulnerable enough to allow that to be part of your story and your narrative yeah um okay Artie, let's close this party down with some viewer <laughs> questions so I did an all call and people aren't giving, they're giving me their handles. So I have these weird handles like, you know, so this is from 
Rebecca L. Kirk, I think is the handle. What is one standard rule that I was probably taught in the kitchen that you think is not useful? Um, To be scared of salt. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Salt is actually your best friend. When you open a packet of crisps or chips, there's 7 million grams of sugar, 7 million teaspoons of salt in there. That's the amount of salt you need to be scared of. But the couple of sprinkles that, you know, people freak out when they watch chefs on TV and how aggressively they salt. First of all, we're using kosher salt, which is salt bigger. Bay? Salt bay? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't find that very helpful, I'll tell you. I was like, why would you want to put your hand in one position and salt from here? Salt that bay. makes no sense. Oh, I know. Okay, so don't be scared of salt. That's so good. don't be scared of salt and season assertively. You know okay. what I mean? That's where all your flavor is going to come from. And sprinkle from a high from a height because if you sprinkle from a height you'll actually be able okay. to season more evenly okay like so, a foot like so c- for people that are listening to this right. like like a foot okay right by my eyeballs right by my eyeballs okay that's where i'm that's, that's great. where i'm sprinkling that from. is great yeah. that's a great visual mm-hmm. um hardesty underscore 214 and i know this is john hardesty um says <laughs> what is the dish that made you realize your passion Oh, my gosh. Um, It may have been French onion soup. What? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) French onion soup because I, it's magic. I relate to the store, to French onion soup so much because when I was making it, I felt like an onion, right? This very sort of looked over, underrated aromatic that's sitting at the grocery store that's literally one of the cheapest things you can buy and yet when you cut it open and you treat it just right and you you put it through some heat and some fat right which I definitely felt like I was going through the fire at some Uh point all this sweetness comes out of it all Mm. this flavor comes out of it this beautiful aroma comes out of it you add a little beef stock a little chicken stock a little vinegar suddenly there's this sumptuous soup in front of you um, and really, let's be honest, it's all about the cheesy toast that goes right on top. Say, it's the topping. <laughs> it's the topping. It's the crown, right? It's the crown. Oh, it's the crown jewel. Yeah, that makes it so much better. But I, I think when I saw what cooking could do with the humblest of ingredients, like an onion, I was like, I'm in, dude. This is amazing. That's amazing. You're telling the onion story <laughs> layer by layer. It's so good. <laughs> Artie, this has been an incredible party. Um, Thanks for talking about it. I really enjoyed getting to know you. And I know that all my listeners and viewers, if if you're viewing it, we've just Mm -hmm. really enjoyed to get you to get to know you a lot more. It's been so fun. Yeah. Maybe you can um, come cook in my kitchen sometime. I would love that. Because literally, if you ask my husband, the thing we fight about most and what would ever drive us to divorce and we're never going to divorce, but like it's the one thing we fight about the most, what's for dinner? What's for freaking dinner? I know. Like, I, get I can't it. deal with it. Oh, I get it. Oh. I know. Well, if I could take some of the tension out, mm-hmm. every chef I know, after they cook these really elaborate dinners at their restaurants, will come home and make noodles and butter. Or they, they will make really I can simple, really simple elemental food. I think their palates are just blown, uh-huh. you know, by the time they get home. But the food itself is is part of it. The fact that you're breaking bread with your family around the table, yeah. that's it. That's it. That's you're right. It. You're right. Don't get so consumed with what it is. Mm-hmm. It's the who, mm-hmm. not the what. So mm-hmm. 100%. awesome. Thank you so much, Artie. <laughs> Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. You too. Bye. 
I bet you connected so much with Artie. I know I did. And sometimes it's just nice to know that we're not alone in those feelings of inadequacy. I'm going to put all the links for her in the show notes, including a link to her latest cookbook. And a reminder, if you want to win a $100 gift card to Target, I'm giving away three of them. All the details in the show notes, all you got to do is subscribe to The Paula Ferris Show. Speaking of, next week on the show, um, I'm not exaggerating, one of the most fun conversations that I think I have ever had. You've probably seen this guy somewhere on some show Rutledge Wood, he's a host of the very popular show on Netflix called The Floor is Lava. Uh, we were obsessed with that show uh, during the pandemic. And we're going to talk about Rutledge's big break, how hard work and hustle led the way. All kinds of hilarity as we talk about it next week on The Paula Ferris Show. I'll see you then. Oh, one more thing. Is this still on? Yeah, it is. If you're watching on YouTube right now, hit that subscription button or wherever you're listening, make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss a beat and invite your friends. Let's spread the word and let's talk about it.